Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy delivers a message of hope. This psalm is an embarrassing lesson on faith. Because you and I are going to be introduced to a man whose life is under threat, where circumstances are crippling, and yet he says that indeed he will not be moved. Welcome to Know the Truth with Pastor Philip DeCourcy. I'm Wayne Shepherd. And today, in this closing message to our Psalms of Trust Statements of Faith series, Philip gives us a wake up call. He challenges us to develop an undivided and unrelenting trust in God. And that requires that we repent of those false things we've clung to in the past. Today's text is Psalm 62, and Philip is calling us to a deeper, truer faith in his message titled Our Only Hope. Revisit your favorite messages. Go to ktt.org. Here's Philip. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 62. Let's jump right in here. And there's three things the attack, verses 1 to 4, the affirmation, 5 to 8, and the admonition, 9 to 12. Let's just look at the first thought the attack. Having made his opening statement, truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. Having made that statement, that declaration of dependence upon God, something he'll come back to in verses 5 and 6. David goes on a terror. David goes on a tirade against his enemies. Look at verse 3. How long will you attack a man? An interesting Hebrew word at its root is a word that speaks to shout. And that's what's going on in Psalm 62. Enemies are accumulating. Now, as we look at Psalm 62 in the opening verses 1 to 4, you can see that the language of verse 3 tells us that this attack was damaging. David's like a leaning wall. He's like a tottering fence. One more push, and he's over. So the language of verse 3 tells us the attack is damaging. The language of verse 4 tells us the attack is deceitful. Look at verse 4. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. Treachery is afoot, and David is the target. And this attack, this assault, is damaging and it's deceitful. So let's move on. We've not only got the attack, verses 1 to 4, now we've got the affirmation, verses 5 through 8. In the midst of the betrayal, In the midst of the battle, David confesses and affirms his rock-solid trust in God alone. He hasn't surrendered to the circumstances. His enemies haven't been able to defeat him. Why? Because if you look at his language, God is his rock, and God is his salvation, and God is his defense, and God is his refuge. He just piles metaphor on top of metaphor to speak about the fact that God has been his security and his shelter. He remains unmoved. And that's the language of the psalmist. And God is that to him. And he has found his shelter in God. He is expressing a quiet in the midst of a storm. The question is, how did he do it? I think there's several contributing factors. Let's begin with one what I call the persuasion. 
Look at verse 5. How long will you attack a man? But now he speaks to himself in the midst of his enemies, my soul. Wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He persuades himself. He has a conversation with himself. He educates himself about God. He preaches the gospel to himself in the midst of this trial. What we have here is self-exhortation. Listen, the human soul cannot remain constant in its confidence in God without exhortation. That's just a fact. It's not like one sermon will do you for a week. It's not like, you know, one daily reading will do you for three days. I want to tell you something. You might read your Bible in the morning, and by lunchtime, you need to keep exhorting yourself in terms of your confidence with God. You need to keep preaching the gospel to yourself. You need to keep reminding yourself of the nature of God's covenant with His people, the wonder of God's sovereign love in Jesus Christ, the promise of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, where He has sealed us on the day of redemption. That's the stuff you got to keep going back to when the enemy assaults. Isn't that what the psalmist did in Psalm 42, verse 5? He speaks to himself, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? In Psalm 103, verses 1 to 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Come on, let's worship. Let's sit down and forget not his benefits. Because as I look into the past and see God's faithfulness, can I not trust him for the present and does not, not give me promise for the future? That's a fact. And I've quoted it before. I'm going to quote it again. The words of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book on spiritual depression. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Now, this man's treatment of Psalm 42, 5 and 11 tells us that instead of allowing his self to talk to him. He started talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He asks. His soul had, has been depressing him, crushing him, so he must stand up to it and stand up to self and speak to self. But just bear those words in mind. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? The old worries have come back from yesterday. You need to speak to yourself. Don't allow yourself to speak to you. Don't let that negativity, don't let that lack of trust in God, don't let that forgetfulness about His promises and His providence lead you to a place of discouragement. No, George Mueller is right, dead right, that the first business of the day is to make your soul happy in the Lord. And then the business of the rest of the day is to keep yourself centered there. But you know what? We're on the internet, we're listening to the radio, we're watching television, and we are allowing the birds of media and political thought and, and the scaremongers out in our culture, we're allowing those birds, according to Matthew 13, to come and take away the good seed of the Word of God. It's a mistake. How can David stay still in this storm, 
Number one, what I call persuasion. He speaks to himself what God has spoken. Number two, let's look at the patience. Not only the persuasion, but the patience. In verse one, he says, truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. Look at verse five. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He is my rock, my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation, my glory, the rock of my strength, my refuge. It's in him. David shows patience here. He believes expectantly that God will deliver him. His expectation is from the Lord. That's where he's focused. And it's striking. He kind of, in the midst of all of this, and right now, there's palace intrigue going on. To the background of verses 5, 6, and 7, his enemies are hard at work. But in many ways, David is being still. David is not overreacting. You and I tend to react in the midst of trouble. We, we put things in high gear. We make alliances. We go looking for help in, in human figures and, and human resources. But too often, let's be honest, but there is a place for seeking help. There are means of grace that God puts around us. But I think if we're honest, often our reaction to trouble, it's too quick. It's too man-centered. Our creativity and activity is often a form of self-reliance. And you don't see that in David. He quietens his soul. He submits his will to God's will. He looks beyond the moment to an everlasting God who's implementing an everlasting plan. And David's part of it. David was not moved by the machinations of his enemies because he believed strongly and repeatedly that God was on the move on his behalf. Now, I want you to understand in one sense, his waiting was passive, but in another sense, it wasn't passive. It was passive in the sense that he didn't rush to cobble together some political alliance to build some kind of bulwark against his enemies. No, his, his first and natural or maybe supernatural reaction was, okay, be still and know that he is God. Remember that God can do more than you can. Remember that a little bit more of God makes up for a great deal less of us. And God's plans for us are always better than our plans for ourselves. And God can take care of our enemies when he wishes any way he designs. I think that was what was going on. So while it was passive in one way, it wasn't passive in another way. It was active faith in God's ability to deal with the problem, and it was founded upon an expectation that salvation would come from God, deliverance would come from God. And when we read about salvation here, I think, at least in its context, it has got more to do with political salvation, uh, circumstantial deliverance, personal rescue. But his expectations from the Lord. The Lord can and will get me out of this. Doesn't mean that he didn't have things to do in faith, and in tandem, and in concert with God's providence, but at its base, he trusted God alone. Remember four times he says, only my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock. 
He only is the one from whom I find my expectation. He believed that God was working on his behalf while he was still. I love what Amy Carmichael, who's a daughter of Ulster and someone from my home country. She went to be a missionary in India. She says this. This is very beautiful. Joys are always on the way to us. They're always traveling to us through the darkness of the night. There is never a night when they're not coming. Isn't that good? I think David, that may not be his language, but it was his perspective. He's under attack, and he takes shelter in God alone. That's his first line of defense. Not political alliances, not human help, although there may be a place for some of that, but that's somewhere down the list. Right now, it's God alone, and right now he believes that joys and deliverance and salvation is coming to him through the night because it always is. Let's be still and know that, that he is God. I don't have time to develop this, but I'll just give you the, the kind of bullet points. Warren Wearsby, who, who's always good, speaking on Psalm 62 and this idea of waiting silently on God, he says, this is what it means practically. Just write these thoughts down or listen to them later and begin to think them out yourself. Here's what that means. Be patient. Don't run ahead of God. Okay, don't jump the gun. Wait and see what God might do. Wait and see what the Word of God says. Wait and see what godly counsel advises. Be patient. Don't run ahead of God. Number two, be silent and don't give God orders. Isn't God wiser than you and me? At some point, Job put his hand over his mouth and shut up. And that was the turning of the tide. Isaiah 40, who has been God's counselor? Be patient. Don't run ahead of God. Be silent. Don't give orders to God. And thirdly, be calm and don't interfere with God. Give him time. Let him show himself strong on your behalf. Here's the third thought, what I call the prayer. The prayer. We're, we're here in verses 5 through 8. He's affirming his trust in God alone in the midst of the attack. We see persuasion. He talks to himself. Then we see patience as he waits on God. And now we see what I call the prayer. Verse 7 and 8, In God my salvation and my glory, the rock of my salvation and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is our refuge. He has talked to his enemies. He has talked to himself. And now he talks to others about what he himself is doing. He's trusting God. He wants them to trust God, and he calls them to pour out their heart to God because he has poured out his heart to God. That's what we do in the midst of problems. We turn our problems into prayer, and prayer turns our problems into peace. Day by day, they were to trust in God and find faith fortified through believing prayer. In fact, I want you to notice that the language of this text makes trusting and praying synonymous. It makes trusting and praying synonymous. If you say you have faith in God, that will put itself in display on believing prayer and awaiting upon God silently, expectantly, believingly. 
You know what the Puritans used to say? Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the omnipotent arm of God. It's true. A little bit more of God will make up for a great deal less of us in prayer when it's offered by a righteous man fervently. Works, affects life and circumstances. I love this idea of poured out. Poured out. Pour out your heart before God. It's beautiful. And it's a reminder again, before David went and talked to other people who might come to his aid or on his side, before David talked to those who weren't part of the rebellion, he realized he can't talk to anybody better than talking to God. And he can go and pour out, like water poured out of a jug. He can go and talk to God about his fears, his apprehensions. He can share his concerns with God. I love that thought in Matthew 14, 12, when John the Baptist dies, his disciples go and collect his headless body. It says that they, they took him and buried him, and they went and told Jesus. Go tell Jesus. That's what they did, and that's what our text is telling us to do. It's telling us to pour out our hearts before God. That would be Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. If you want a kind of New Testament version of this, where we're invited through our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come before the throne of grace and find mercy and help in a time of need. And what are we told? We're told to come boldly. The Greek word there is come and speak frankly. Come and be candid. It's a Greek word that spoke of free speech. You don't need certain P's and Q's You don't need a theological dictionary. You don't even need a liturgy before you can speak to God. Just pour out your heart to Him. Cry, lament, confess, ask, seek, and God will bless you. God will help you. That's a wonderful promise you and I need to embrace anywhere, anytime, about anything. The King of kings and the Lord of lords bids us come and pour out our hearts and find a peace that passes all understanding. We don't have time to develop the last thought, but I'll squeeze in the kind of main point of verses 9 through 12, what I call the admonition. The admonition. You've had the attack, verses 1 to 4. You've had the affirmation, 5 through 8. And now you have what I call the admonition, 9 through 12. Here's what you've got going on in verses 9 through 12. David has told us where his trust is. It's in God alone. God is refuge. God is salvation. God is deliverance. And he has told the people of God, trust in the Lord at all times and pour out your heart before him. Having told them where his trust is, having told them where to put their trust, he now tells them and reminds himself what not to trust. He has told them what to trust or who to trust. Now he tells them what not to trust. Don't trust men. Because men of a low degree are vapor. Men of a high degree are a lie. You put them in a scale and they weigh nothing nothing. Go to Isaiah 40. The nations are nothing in comparison to a majestic, sovereign, and glorious God. Do not trust in oppression. Do not trust in robbery. Do not trust in money. 
if riches increase, don't set your heart on them. What's the point? Do not trust in human figures, schemes, resources. Men are vapor. Violence is wrong. And riches are uncertain. So what are you to trust? Well, this has been said once and twice. That's idiom in the Hebrew for I've heard this a thousand times. Verse 11, this has been said a thousand times, and we need to be reminded a thousand times that power belongs to God. He's merciful and loving, and he renders to every man according to his work. God keeps books. God is just, powerful, and loving, and you and I must trust him. Don't allow our trust to be shifted to money or wealth, powerful people, government, military might, deceit, scheming, or aggressive tactics. As we close, I'm reminded of a a letter that Adoniram Judson, the Baptist missionary to Burma, wrote. He wrote it to Luther Rice, who was back in the United States, trying to raise funds for missions in Burma. And you know what? Rice was finding it hard. It was only a trickle of funds coming in because as people looked what Adoniram Judson was doing, they thought it brazen, they thought it hopeless, they thought it pointless. They didn't have the faith that he had in a glorious God who's committed to winning the nations to the glory of his son. Judson wrote to Rice and he said this, If they ask again, What prospect of ultimate success is there? Tell them as much as there is in Almighty God and His faithfulness. A God who will perform His promises. That's where our trust is and no more. Philip has more to share in a moment, so stick around. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy and the conclusion of a message titled Our Only Hope the final lesson of our Psalms of Trust Statements of Faith series. We've received such a positive response from this series, and if you want to hear more messages in the Psalms, listen online at ktt.org. Or you can make a donation of $40 or more, and we'll send you direct online access to the entire Psalms of Trust series, along with the Psalms of Trust personal devotional booklet. This booklet is filled with sermon notes and study guides for each sermon, and will act as a personal guide as you delve into this encouraging series. Make your request today when you call in your generous donation to 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. Another bonus for your gift of any amount is a timely new book by Tim Challies titled Seasons of Sorrow. Whether you or a friend could use some encouragement, This book will show you how God is sovereign and good in loss and how you can pass through times of grief while keeping your faith. Request Seasons of Sorrow when you call in your gift, again, to 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. If you prefer to mail your gift, write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Now, with a few closing remarks, here again is Pastor Philip. Hey, Philip DeCourcy again. So glad to have you with us today. I wanted to take a moment to tell you how you can stay connected with Know the Truth. We'd love for you to become part of our growing online community, a group of believers who are dedicated to knowing the truth and making the truth known through clear and convicting Bible teaching. 
You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and stay up to date with exciting news, transformational stories, events, and inspiration for your daily walk of faith. Also, be sure to visit us online at ktt.org. There you'll be able to plug in to many of our resources designed to encourage, engage, and equip you as a believer to live a successful life for God's glory and the extension of His kingdom. You'll find books, guides, and other helpful resources. And if you need a way to listen to messages while out and about, you can download the KTT app or the KTT podcast. Just search the app or podcast store on your mobile device for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Thank you, Philip. And you'll find links to these resources and more at ktt.org. I'm Wade Shepard inviting you back tomorrow as we sit down for a special interview with Philip DeCourcy as he starts a new series in the book of Revelation. That's Tuesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.